This is Coda Radio, episode 249 for March 20th, 2017. everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode's brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Scale Your Code. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week, now I believe from a highly militarized location, it's our host, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike! Chris, I don't know where I am. <laughs> you like you got a general vague outline that you're in a building, right? I know that I am in a army base. Okay, well, okay, that's that is pretty specific, actually. Uh, this guy named Q showed up last night and was like, "Hello, my friend." See, I was expecting Jar Jar because I get my Sunday night Jar Jar visit. Sure. Yeah. Oh, Sundays. But, uh, really? Sundays. He's much like Jesus. He instead it was this fellow named Q, and he's like, uh, "I hear you like to do computers and things." Are you telling me that Sunday is the day of molest for Jar Jar Binks? Is that what you're telling me? I'm saying that on Sundays, random fictional sci-fi characters show up at my house. What, does he come down the chimney? I mean, you got to explain this to me, man. I do not have a chimney. Is he coming through the door? I mean, come on. I have an electric Costco fireplace. Yeah, right on. He comes through that. Right on. Using the electron framework, he turns himself into electricity. Just like Nikola Tesla did. In fact, I thought he was Nikola Tesla. Yeah, I would as well. But then, of course, Yusa can't really mistake those ears. Well, this week, you know, I, I had I had my gummy bears and gummy worms out for Jar Jar. And who would show up? Oh, but, it's it's gummy worms, not like cookies and milk. Oh, it's gum- no, it's gummy. Sure. It's like Santa, but different. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm getting that. I'm getting that. Yeah. yeah. And he wanted to talk to me about this new prism. And uh, so you got to dig deep for that reference. Got to dig deep for that reference. Oof, oof. And uh, you might go to prison. Um, he also wanted to talk to me about uh, his new friend. He has a new lady friend. She's royalty. Now, hold on a second. Did go he, ahead. like, emotionally prepare you for this news? Because, I mean, I would just kind of assume after all these years, somebody's visiting you every single Sunday. You're feeding them gummy worms and juice. To me, it would seem like there's some sort of emotional well, bond that at least should be considered right. before. So I said, well, Q, I, uh, I'm happy to have you, but uh, what happened to Jar Jar? Sure. And he said, well, m- that's what I want to talk to you about. My new lady friend, you know, she's a queen. Her name's Vosh. She came to visit Jar Jar on Naboo. And, uh, well, all the children and Jar Jar have been assimilated. So they, what and, they need uh, is Captain Picard and Captain Kirk to come and save them. Well, well, uh, they went to see Patrick Stewart first. I was not Q's first port of call. And uh, Patrick Stewart says, uh, no, I'm retired. He's stoned all the time now. Right. So they came to me and said, hey, can you help us using this prism? Naturally. To defeat uh, my new girlfriend. I mean, we all the know they're Coda radio listeners. Right. Of course they are. Um, we, they like to visit us. And uh, I said, okay, well, tell me about your new girlfriend. I mean, does she like, you know, sushi? Can we go out for dinner and talk this over? He said, well, no, she does not like sushi. Instead, she likes assimilating people and entire worlds. Well, she wants to add their biological distinctiveness to her own. 
Right. So we quickly watched Star Trek First Contact, and uh, I am scared out of my mind right now. You just need a few chroniton particles. Then you open up a rift. You go back in time. You get Zephyr and Cochran. You get in his spaceship. You go up to something that looks like a moon, but it's no moon. You land on there. You get in there. You, you set up a few things, disable the tractor beam, and then you We're get back. crossing so many streams. So what I did was I walked onto this army base, uh, which randomly had naval officers on it. I shot Ensign Lynch. Sure, that's what you do. Some lady yelled at me. I said I had no choice. I broke her trophy room. And uh, I will not be sacrificing the Enterprise or the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> Good. Depending on where I am. Good. You do what you have to do, what you always do. You survive. So we had a – speaking of surviving, this show has gotten some feedback, and that keeps us surviving. That keeps us thriving, which, by the way, I'm going to be – Unlike last. Boom. Oh! <laughs> oh, my God. Shots fired. Shots so fired. Wow. <laughs> yes. Oh, man, that was sniper attack, dude. That was like a JFK-style sniper attack right there. Holy I, crap. I didn't, like, curve the bullet three times, but... Woo. No, yeah, there was no curvature, but it was a clean shot, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, in fact, I'm going to just be frank. The feedback is, uh, we got some good items, but it's not like... We couldn't go to... We couldn't get to everybody's feedback this week because Mike's traveling, and uh, I don't know how... I don't have any words that describe what my methods of feedback streams are like right now. My inbox is just... So not only did I have a ton of feedback come in, like an unbelievable amount of feedback, like a just an unprecedented amount of feedback come in, but uh, also filled with hatred. Yeah, that's, my that's... NAS had a drive failure, <laughs> and so my emails full of like these errors that got generated every fifteen seconds from my NAS. <laughs> so it's a real mess in there today. But I did manage to pull out a few gems. Uh, of course, the safe bet was the subreddit, right? Because <laughs> that doesn't involve the inbox at all. I did manage to get an email though. But let's start with uh, this first one that. Uh, Carrie Hartline. Carrie Hartline. I'm going to go Hartline. Uh, this is on you and I were like, well, how does how does Apple really take what was uh, committed upstream to WebKit and implement it in Safari, or do they drag their feet in sort of Apple ways? And we weren't really sure because I had some vague ideas that they had to prove some stuff. I was surprised by, but then I had other. Then you had some vague ideas of things that had gone kind of wrong and wonky. So I, I thought uh, Carrie Hartline's comment here was pretty good. Writes, uh, Apple tries to minimize the difference between what's happening in WebKit and what's actually implement, implemented in Safari, both on the mobile and on the desktop. This has become more true since the introduction of Safari Technology Preview. Apple, like Microsoft, are in the position where they don't want to worry about trying to replace the OS with a browser so they can have a more stringent security and performance requirements. WebRTC, device access, and different databases for storing data are things that Apple has either rejected or sat on until developers can prove that it meets security and performance requirements, i.e. dragging their feet. Uh, I see little reason to doubt that WebAssembly will be implemented on both mobile and desktop unless it turns out that WebAssembly hurts performance terribly. Um, I see little reason to doubt. Oh, okay. So he thinks they'll implement it. Uh, none, of WebKit, none of the WebKit devs that I know have ever thought to slow down on WebKit or to slow down WebKit itself as a way to help app, the App Store. I agree. I don't... I don't, I don't believe this conspiracy out there that Apple does this just to promote the App Store. Uh, just for, I think that's crap because if you look at the original iPhone, the whole idea was going to be web apps. And they, they really – I still think, although my preferred browser is definitely Chrome on Android, but uh, I still think Mobile Safari is pretty good. He goes on to say that uh, he thinks the conspiracy theories, like I was just saying, that fantasize of web and the fantasies of uh, people like uh, – are just 
fantasies of developers who think that Apple is trying to uh, protect the App Store. It's web devs that are concerned or upset that their pet feature hasn't been implemented yet. I don't think that they're perfect, but it's silly to attach malice to what is really just a different set of priorities. That is, I agree. I think sometimes we misinterpret what is a different set of priorities as malice towards the web. I think, yeah, I think, I, yeah, I think, I think that's fair, right? It's web incidental. Assembly, will WebAssembly yeah. be the big tail, Mike? If Apple, if Apple is, if Apple is pre, like, if the next version of iOS with mobile Safari and the next version of macOS with the built-in Safari browser ship with WebAssembly support, that would be a tell because at this point, so, it's already, okay. in, it's already, in, it's already in daily snapshots of WebKit. It would be a bad sign. I mean, there's there, when you think about like web uh, development performance on mobile, you have to think about well, two things: straight up performance, uh, as in like JavaScript performance, and API access, right? And how much of a pain in the ass does Apple make not working on a Mac to develop iOS apps? Uh, on the pain in the ass front, I don't think they care at all, right? I mean, I just I'm just going to say that like they have no problem with saying go buy a Mac. Frankly, that's what they want you to do. On the performance side, I think they care, and I, I, I sort of don't think that they would actually stop WebAssembly unless there was a good reason that like doesn't just look like petulance, right? We have seen them gimp Safari on on iOS in ways that they've delayed things. I wouldn't say gimp. I'd say they've slowed things down. Okay. Right, they, 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 and and I want to be clear when I say slow things down, they've taken in improvements into WebKit, maybe slightly slower. Yeah, or they'll introduce things like maybe a new JavaScript rendering engine that Apple's internal apps can use and Apple's internal WebKit views can use. But if you make a standalone Web View app, it won't take that new. It has to use an older JavaScript engine. Safari View Controller, right? I mean, that. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. It is very hard, I think. That's a can to, of worms, really. Yeah, I mean, this is all a can of worms. And one of the problems, I think, is Apple is not like one dude. You know, Tim Cook is not lording over the entire organization um, unchecked, right? There are people, there are managers, and he doesn't – I doubt he makes day-to-day decisions on WebKit rendering engines. I just – Yeah, yeah I, <laughs> I agree. A bit silly to me. Yeah, I agree. I, I completely agree. And you know what, Mike? Uh, just as anecdote, uh, just because I talked about it in the show earlier uh, – I got my iPhone fixed and I'm back on iOS. I the Nexus well, 6. Wow, that lasted long. Yeah. Mm, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what was interesting is uh, so uh, I basically switched back to iOS when the iPhone 7 came out, and I haven't really used Android much since then, other than on a couple of tablets, but nothing on a mobile device where I'm going to different locations and whatnot. I think the I think not not like some amazing amount, but I think the Google Now services and all of that have uh, improved. Um, even in the in, say six seven months since I've used them, um, one of the things I find really nice is now it's also kind of creepy. But when I go to restaurants with a Nexus device, I get a Google Now push notification where one of the options in the notification is view the menu. Which when you're a parent with and you you pull up and you got kids in the car and you want to try to make this as clean and efficient as possible, it's actually. Super nice to not even have to go to Google and try to search for the menu. Like it just pushes it to me. Like the location stuff has gotten has gotten really good. And the integration with Android Wear is is really nice with all of that. Um, but the battery life is atrocious still. I'm really I was really struggling. Uh, Assistant is extremely buggy and disappointing. It can't do some of the things that I used to use the regular OK Googs interface for 
which is a massive letdown. Um, so I'm not – Assistant isn't keeping me right now. They're going to have to work on that thing for sure. Uh, and also the third-party products that it integrates are just a fraction of what the Echo does. It's, it is – I can Hughes and um, Wemo, uh, but no TP-Link, no Limux. It's, it's, it's really it's, – it's pathetic really. Uh, and, then, and then last but not least, the performance is not nearly as good and I can't – I cannot compare it to a pixel. I just – I don't have the financial resources to do that right now. And Well, Bitcoin is – nobody that, nobody that uh, accepts Bitcoin also sells a pixel. Um, so I can't comment on a, on a pixel performance. But a Nexus 6P, in my estimation, is dramatically slower than the iPhone SE or the iPhone 6S and – Dramatically, dramatically slower than the Nexus or than the iPhone Seven. So I, I just at the end of the day. Oh, and last but not least, the Nexus Six P screen is not nearly as bright and and readable outdoors. This is actually, I, this is what I should have led with. <clears throat> you can barely see the Nexus screen in the sunlight, whereas with the iPhone Seven, it is actually quite legible. Um, and I never really cared a lot until I started flying my drone a lot. And that makes the <laughs> being able to see the screen well and kind of being able to see the screen when you're flying something a thousand feet away is a is all the difference. It is it is a massive difference between screen qualities. And I know the Pixel is much better there. Uh, so yeah, I'm back on iOS as a result of that. Okay. So oh, stop. one can I, one more thing. Can I tell you one more thing? One more thing quickly. Okay, really quick. I know because this is nobody cares. But uh, the other thing that made a big difference is the, the notification model. One of the things is, is that I find that I have – I go down, I lock down all my notifications on Android and then either like the New York Times app for some reason or the GoPro app or the DJI app start sending me notifications. And the problem is they send me notifications when I don't want them, so I just clear them. And I end up being plagued by a bunch of notifications. All of a sudden I have this big task where I got to go clean them all up uh, when I have time because they come up like when I'm recording a show. Whereas on iOS, because it requests access at the time of launch and I can just say don't allow – I do not have that problem, and that makes yeah, a big difference for me. Anyway, sorry. I know I shouldn't. Just, I just feel just like different. some people. There's enough. There's enough people who are following this saga that I wanted to update people. So, all I was going to say is, stop if you are an Apple hater. I would love for you to stop listening right now. Go ahead, write your hate mail now. You get one an episode. I actually don't think it's. You know what, Mike? I think it's changed. I think the times have changed because I think what with the really. A lot of that, uh, Hang on, let me give you my email password. <laughs> let me just Well, here's the ahead. thing though. I think people that are that it, that are that are really like thinkers about this stuff, they realize that there is product-wise and freedom-wise and ethics-wise and morals-wise, there is really zero difference between right. the Pixel and the iPhone. It's just as locked down, it's just proprietary. In fact, I would argue that the Pixel tracks you more, that the company's reasons for developing the phone are less ethical than a company that wants to just sell hardware. And I think you could demonstrate that Apple has at least at some times gone up against the authorities, tried to fight the FBI when it, was, when it came to the San Bernardino shooter's phone. So they may have customer privacy as a higher priority than Google does, who is literally a company that is designed to mine information about people and sell it to advertisers. So I, I think people – and I, you know that, that. None of that is news to you. But I suspect that it is becoming more common knowledge, that more and more people are thinking that way. And so that, that sting to the debate has been removed, and now it's much more about 
Do you prefer the Play Store model of allowing more cool apps that you can't get on iOS? Do you like the fact that Android lets you install a file manager? It's much more about that stuff. And, or do you prefer something that just runs really consistently? The apps are well-designed, the ones that are available, and the support's pretty good, and the hardware refre- refresh cycle is very predictable. Like, that's iOS, and Android's more about tweaking, hacking, modifying, maybe if you're really out there, different ROMs, but I think that's even dialing back now. And so when the show started, the wars oh, between... Oh. Yeah, right, when the show started, like, the wars between all of that were still very heated, but now I feel like people are getting... Much more like this is my tool, like what like what, we're about to get into this. Like this is just a tool I use to communicate with people. Uh, you know, for my for me, if I was just picking a phone based on Telegram alone, I would go Android because the voice dictation right now appears to be better. At least it was for me so far. Then I like Telegram on Android better. So and I wouldn't and 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 I wouldn't I wouldn't pick it because it's Android or iOS. If I if that was the if that was the metric in which I measured a phone, I would be using I would still be using the Nexus phone. But right now the the primary metric that I use to measure which phone I use is which one works the best in a bright sunlight while I'm flying a drone during like sunset or sunrise and I'm getting blasted with light. Well, the only one I can even see is the iPhone. So therefore, it pretty much wins that battle. And for me, that's the phone to go with. And I think people are choosing much more based on those types of metrics. This is a tool. This is something I need to use. I use this to communicate with family or work, etc. And less about Google's fighting for open source because as they have rolled back over the years, taken a lot of things out of ASOP or AOS, whatever it is, AOSP, and and pulled it into the Play Store, I think that fantasy has been lost. Oh, maybe you want an SD card. Yeah, that's a good point, Digital Titan. <clears throat> All right, let's move on. We don't need to keep talking about mobile uh, because uh, Ian, or Ian, write in to talk, wrote in, writes in, to talk about Windows development environments. Last week we speculated that perhaps some of this stuff, the modifications to Visual Studio, the improvements to C Sharp, are not so much about trying to entice Mac developers, iOS developers, Linux developers, web developers, but more about just trying to double down on the folks that already love Windows development. Perhaps they're a dark matter developer. They're working behind the scenes creating applications for their company that never make a big splash in the public. And they're happy with the Windows development environment. So that was confirmed when Ian wrote. And he said, just to make your uh, squirm, just to make you squirm a little bit, I've been reading this and this makes me happy. And he links to the uh, setting up a perfect Windows dev box. He says, you know what? I've been a Windows user for years now. Don't hate me. Again, this is a tool for him. It's not about the morals of it. He says, I'm just starting to learn software development and I've been heading more and more these days towards Android development. And now there's a good chance I won't have to switch to Mac or Linux. And in his world, you know what? That's not like a – in his world, that means I can get immediately started on something I'm passionate about. I don't have to switch out my tool set. I don't have to move over to the Mac. I don't have to get Xcode. I don't – I can start in the Windows environment that I know. I can use Bash on the command line. I can – I mean you can even use Microsoft's own tools and software now. I'm leaving that to you now. What do you think? Yeah. No, that's good. I mean, if that's practical for him and that's working for him, that's great. Um, as long as, you know, the support for Microsoft's tools continue and that doesn't at some point become a problem, then yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's an interesting that's an interesting couch you just made. You just a big comfy couch you just put out there. When you said as long as Microsoft keeps working with them. And at first I thought Microsoft's a big company. They're not going anywhere. They're not going to drop these tools. Let me tell you about Windows Metro apps. 
Well, there's just that's a great yes. It's something you got very how closely burned happy by. They are to screw over their partners, but that, also if they're know, willing to make yeah. this radical of a change, you know, now we have an official, legit Microsoft-sanctioned Linux environment on Windows. Visual Studio Code is available for Linux. They are doubling down on supporting things outside of C Sharp. If you look at or and and the open sourcing of C Sharp, let's actually just drop everything else and just set, talk about that for a second. If Microsoft is willing to make this level of radical change, I could definitely see them making the next step would be which maybe it was like ah people are using their own tools. We just want you to host on our platform, and they drop the tools. Could that actually happen? I mean, if they're willing to make this radical of level of changes, is that right, that far well, to go? So, okay. I mean, do we want to unpack this here from the crazy bourgeois capitalist uh, consulting guy's perspective? Break, break it. Because it, it's, it's, it's an ugly conversation, right? So this is my experience, and this is not indicative of anyone personally. Microsoft, when dealing with outside vendors in my experience, feels like their obligation to you ends at the, let's call them weasel clauses in their contract. For instance, if they sign a contract with you to be a partner where they promise to feed you business, assuming all things go well and things don't go well, they will basically hang you out to dry. I'm just going to say that. Now, the fact that they publish a tool that helps you to work on a particular platform is fine, and if you want to use that, great. But I understand that they are a large public company, and they operate in a way. And and, and to be fair, Apple, Apple does this, and Google does this too, to a lesser extent. But... I have I don't have a lot of warm fuzzy feelings towards them in terms of a partnership because I have been burned right and because I have a fairly socialistic view on the purpose of public corporations right so I got uh I got a front row seat to a strategy change by Microsoft back in the day when uh, before there was a, a term that we used for uh, servers in somebody else's right. data center, before we called it cloud, we called it hosted for a bit. And uh, my company that I worked with, as a, I was an employee, and they sent me out as a contractor. This is when I was getting started in the contracting business. One of the areas that was a huge growth area for them was something called hosted exchange, and it was something they could do in their data center if they. And the way you did this is. You set up an exchange server and you there, there was just big early support for multiple domains and so I had multiple Active Directory domains and all this kind of stuff. Or later on, there was a company called Intermedia. They're probably still around. <clears throat> and they did all that work for you and you could resell it white label style and still make just as much money as it could because it was so expensive. It was so damn expensive to host servers. And, and the bandwidth and then of course manage the backups and have the backup storage space for all of that. And of course, that grew exponentially as your customers grew. It was so expensive to do to just to run the servers and to run Exchange and to license it and to have administrators that it was cheaper to use Intermedia. So then people at, at Intermedia just exploded. People started using Intermedia to host their Exchange. You could white label resell it. It was it was such a hit that Microsoft started working with partners to help resell it to resell hosted Exchange. Microsoft set up. 
Microsoft set up massive sales channels. Microsoft would go into companies that are switching from Novell and sell them on hosted exchange now. And they had a range of local partners that would be in the area that you would sign up for. So that way Microsoft would include you on a sales call or include you in a sales meeting because you'd be the ground support for this move to hosted exchange. It was this really in-depth, full-on initiative that Microsoft put on until – until no one calls to buy the service, and then there are no sales calls for you to go on, and you've invested forty thousand. Now, oh, sorry. So the all of the all of the companies with all of the staff, all of the administrators, all of the people that had the boots on the ground, they started falling apart because they weren't getting the sales. And what Microsoft realized they could do, which caused the collapse of all of these companies, is they could just host it themselves. Yep, they just could offer something. Cut out the middleman. Uh, or they could call it like university hmm, and, and do so it themselves. You, all, of these, all of this infrastructure was set up. All of these sales channels yeah. were set up. All of this sales brochures, all this literature, all of these staff members were hired, all of this stuff. And then Microsoft decides. Eh. You know, it, it, it's funny, right? Because uh, people who've listened to the show for a long time know that I'm a pretty angry, bitter kind of guy. And But I've mellowed out on a lot of things. Like I've chilled out on the Apple stuff uh, and the fact that like, certain people in the Apple community decided to fuck me at one point because it was fun. Um, and that Google doesn't care to update their phones. I've kind of just accepted that. But I think the thing I took the least hard was the partnership with Microsoft. And on hindsight, I'm more angry about it, it hmm. which it's, it's so interesting um, in that how they see independent software vendors as partners. And to their credit, like I am not suggesting that they did anything illegal. No, they just they, they made a they made a business calculation. Well, really? Well, no, they 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 did what every salesperson does, right? They tell you something, but then the papers you sign actually say they say that, but then like you know, well, and the salespeople say, don't really have any weight in up the chain to actually, co- actually called evangelists, not salespeople. <laughs> there, um, they. Anybody who calls themselves an evangelist and hosts a podcast is a salesperson. I'm a salesperson. I'm trying to sell you software services right now. That is my job, right? Chris is trying to sell you podcast ads. I'm just saying. Um, or to get you to buy. I mean, it, it is what it is, right? It's, it's capitalism is commerce. I'm turning into a commie right now. But, you know, the evangelist will say, yeah, and, you know, the average ISV is getting, you know, um, about, you know, $40,000 or $50,000 of leads a month based on this. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what they don't tell you is that that average is projected on projections, not actually what's happening on the ground. And when you don't close deals, it is your fault, not their fault. And they do not subsidize you for the expense, which is very annoying. Or I should say they don't subsidize you in any way that you care about or matters to them. Mm. Because I hate to break it to you, a Visual Studio license is not worth anything. <laughs> yeah. The thing that I'm worried about is covering payroll, right? So, like, if I don't get 40000 in, let's say, three months, and then I've done everything on my side, I kind of think you should just give me, like, ten grand. <laughs> that, that's what I think to cover my, you know, pain. But they don't feel that way. No. Well, they're too busy, uh, you know. Doing all kinds of other like, things, dude. They Apple's can't. position is much more honest. Yeah, no, you're not going to make any money. And if you're not nice to us, we're going to like delist your podcast and your app. <laughs> did you not know that? <laughs> or we're going to hold your updates for 30 days. Yeah, it is kind of like, did you not know that? Come on. We've very, been, very we've been around for a while. It's very always honest. been like this. Google is just like, yeah, we just don't care about you. 
and and you say things about like HP one visas that we don't. No, like. Google's more like just don't trigger our bots. Just don't trigger our yeah, bots, just, and you're good. Don't piss off the Python script. Yeah, you're good. Um, <laughs> Microsoft's more like, no, we want to be friends. Come on. Oh, oh, whoa, whoa, what? whoa. What? This is shiny over here. You you misunderstood. He didn't say that. Did you not read the fine print? Sorry, pony. Microsoft's becoming the master of the pivot, but there are things that are consistent, like their developer tools and C Sharp. Like those things are remaining consist- consistent, oh, even while they I become am- the master of the pivot. So to be clear, Microsoft tools aren't bad. People using Microsoft development aren't bad. Microsoft evangelists have some problems. And I think the problem is that I have never met a bad evangelist for any company, to be fair. The problem is, kind of in the enthusiasm I feel that certain Microsoft evangelists bring to their job. They make it sound like, and they're pretty quick to tell you, oh, yeah, 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 no, 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 of course. I mean, you're blah, 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 and you're a market, and this, oh, you'll be fine. Um, but their legal department and their you know, um, strategy is much more like, well, we don't have a legal obligation to do that, so yeah. we're not going to. Yeah. Um, and I'm sorry that you're like on the verge of bankruptcy, right? Like, like that is basically their position. So, and that is why I would like to talk to you about Linux and Docker. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just almost fell out of my chair. Where did that come from? See, the fastest way to piss off Microsoft is to talk about Linux. They may say they like Linux, but it's just not true. Did you know you can run Docker on Windows now, Mike? I did. Did you know that you probably shouldn't? Did you know the Windows Server, the, the Windows Server platform, is a uh, Docker partner, and that uh, Win? I'm just right here. Windows Server is a great. It says Windows Server right here is a great solution for running Docker in virtualized containers. Wait, what? What? Wow, it's almost as if Docker was a private corporation. <laughs> All right. So before we move on, let's take a moment to thank ScaleYourCode.com because if you. If you've ever enjoyed learning from our mistakes, then this might be a great resource for you because they have great interviews that are just an email subscription away. And in these interviews, not only do you learn about their culture, you learn about the tools they use, but you also learn about the mistakes they've made. Now, you can unsubscribe at any time. It's like two to three e- emails a month, which is actually right now sounding pretty nice. That sounds like a beach somewhere, so beautiful, sunny, some nice, clear blue water. Oh, man. Two to three emails a month, what What a utopia. And, you know, in there, you'll get access to all of the interviews and great insights from the folks they've interviewed. I mentioned before, like the founder of Ruby on Rails, CTO of Basecamp, experts from Google, Etsy, Heroku, Shopify, Docker. Docker, just saying, hashtag just saying, Docker. Scale Your Code is a resource that surrounds you with industry experts who share their knowledge on scalability, performance, and reliability. You can get access to interviews and blog posts for free. Go to scaleyourcode.com, scaleyourcode.com. A lot of times they do these spots, too, and I'm like, I'm going to listen to an interview after this one. This one sounds pretty good. Uh, Kate Heddleson is a software engineer based out of San Francisco, and she likes to build things that touch users and customers and is currently working on her own startup. So they got an interview, which a lot of the interviews I've focused here have been from folks that are in massively established companies or in, you know, like Google and Etsy and Heroku. Uh, so I thought this was interesting to get a little bit of a startup perspective. So I'll, I'll be listening to this one. Check it out at scaleyourcode.com. Go sign up and get access to all of them. they got a ton of great ones. Learn from renowned engineering cultures, tools, and mistakes at scaleyourcode.com. Just sign up for free, and then you get access. It's like a couple of emails a month. That seems totally worth it at scaleyourcode.com. 
Facebook.com. Thanks to Scale Your Code for sponsoring El Coda Radio. This here, this is the Coda Radio program, episode 249. Thanks to them. So over the weekend, I discovered that Mr. Dominic had acquired himself a new piece of serious hardware. What? One, what? Whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa. Ah. yeah, a lot of one that many geeks lust after, my friend. It's a real tool to get the job done. Now, really? it's a little controversial at time to time. But Mike, I am. I've been the whole episode. I've been dying to know about no. your new DOS keyboard. Life. DOS keyboard. Oh, thank God! Yes, the DOS keyboard. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it is a DOS keyboard, but smaller. So uh, this is the new smaller DOS, like uh, like uh, like uh, doesn't have a numbers key, doesn't have uh, doesn't have much other than no just, arrow keys. Yeah, how's it feel? How's it feel? Um, it is uh, it is a little small. The muscle memory wasn't great when I first got it because I'm used to the bigger one. But it is uh, it's not bad. I'm 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 adapting to it. One key thing is it's actually the brown switches, not the blue switches. <gasps> yeah, I know. So it sounds a little more like this. Ready? Rather than the blue. How are you at an army base with that actual keyboard? Well, I actually have an office here. And this is my old keyboard. I have two browns. <laughs> I see. I see. So what you're saying is you're a government spy. Yeah. No, you have to love government-based closures. Cheap space, gotta love it. Damn, no kidding. No no kidding. And uh, you can thank the Democrats for this horrible waste of taxpayer money. Ooh. Well, you know what? It sounds good, so I'll take it. I will definitely take it. So... Uh, that's actually not the big piece of hardware. Are you ready to talk about this? And this is going to be a no-shame zone. I want to say right here, right now. What are we talking about here now? Hang on. Ooh, baby girl, what are we doing? I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to call you out. We're just going to have a good you know, CEO to CEO level conversation about why you needed a touch bar. Oh, whoa, 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 I don't know what you're talking about. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. uh-huh. I have photographic uh, evidence right here no, that uh, you, now own, you now own a MacBook Touch Bar. And, uh, uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, I don't recall that conversation with the Russian you are obviously You are obviously connected to Vladimir Putin. He obviously you gave you oil money to buy this MacBook Pro because that's the only way you could afford it. And uh, after months and months and months of us skewering, just skewering this thing, like over a barbecue— uh, you'd only buy this if it weren't for Russian influence. So I just want to hear the backstory about how Mr. Dominic became the owner of oh, Fresh from well, the System 76 Super Fan Contest. Mr. Michael Dominic uh, became an owner of a MacBook Pro. Uh, okay, well, so, so let's talk about hosting your uh, homemade sex tape in iCloud for a moment. No, you know what? For, first of all, I got to say my, my – my, the one that kind of made my heart break a little bit was uh, Ryan Sipes who tweeted, No, no. With a frowny face, yeah. <laughs> Poor Ryan, that must have broke his heart. Oh, man. Well. And, and just for full disclosure, which machine are we talking on right now? Which machine are we talking through right now? We are currently talking on the Raytel because I don't oh. have a USB plug that works with the MacBook Pro. <laughs> <laughs> yep. No. Yep. Okay. All right. Talk me through what happened. I'm, I'm envisioning uh, Jar Jar stops by. He's, he's, bringing, he's carrying MacBooks, and he just gives one to you. Okay. So actually, it was Q this weekend, and uh, let's talk about VPNs. All right, yeah, yeah, okay. I need to be on VPNs for the next week, and uh, apparently they will not support Ubuntu. And I need to do some Xamarin work. Also, not supported on Ubuntu. Okay, all right, okay. I mean, it's a tool. Like, you got a gig, you you need a tool. Oh, and actually, JBLive 1679-97, or as I would call him, a troll, because he doesn't have a real name, uh, <laughs> has a point that the YouTube lives on the lemur suck. 
I mean, the skipping is really, really bad. So I didn't just buy a little MacBook. I didn't like buy an Air or like a pink MacBook, whatever they no, call it. No, you went touch bar. I did not just go touch bar. I went 15-inch touch bar with a 2 gigs graphics card. Ooh, holy crap, dude. Holy crap. Yeah. Yeah, I got to so, get that prism. Uh, you wanted uh, – you just – I mean, did you just want to – if you figure if I'm doing this, I got to I gotta experiment with the touch bar. Is that what it was or – So I am considering returning it first of all. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me if you do. That's that, – that, that, that does happen. <laughs> it's just sort of too much money. Yeah, yeah. But tell, walk me through it because okay. uh, you know what? I'm, I'm full disclosure. I have been tempted myself simply because uh, I'm working with uh, – um, 60 frames per second, 100 megabit, 4K video, a lot, basically almost every day. And uh, it's a lot right, of so, – I sit back yeah. in my chair and let my MacBook render for a few so, minutes. Before we talk about why I'm considering returning it, let me defend myself for like two minutes. I had two unexpected things happen to me. I do have this job where I'm required to go on a VPN for the next um, period of time. It is a very tight VPN, and no one's going to make an exception for me, right? So I can't bring in the lemur at all. They're just not going to do it. I asked, and I got a very stern no. So, okay. My old Mac just doesn't work, which is why I have the lemur. I also have another gig coming up that could be on the Zamarian platform, as you lovingly call it, or as the rest of us call it, Xamarin. I've, I've changed my ways. All right, and I I hate Visual Studio. But here's my question for you, dude. Why didn't you do this in 2016 so you could write it off on 2016's taxes? Like, if you're going to do it, do it. Well, let's call my CPA, and he'll tell you that I'm a jackass. I mean, that's fine, right? Like, that would have been the right thing to do. Um, I did not. So this is an unexpected sort of VPN thing that came in. I would not return it. I, You know, I have a— Really? Do you know how much this thing costs? I can only imagine, dude. It's, uh, it's, I, I, it's why I don't, I don't have, have one. To, I don't have to imagine. <laughs> you want me to just to tell you? Yeah. Um, so the other problem is I had to go uh, do the VPN stuff tomorrow morning. So I didn't have time. <laughs> oh, right? This was like, uh, we need you and we need you now. Oh, so this man. Is like, yeah, this is like, I can't wait to like do a custom job. So the one I bought off the shelf is uh, 20 – I think with taxes, it came out to like twenty <laughs> Once I have to buy a dongle, it will be three grand. Right? Oh, my god, dude. Is this? Yeah, it's an ungodly amount of money. And you're not going to have to buy one dongle. you probably have to no, buy a I'm couple. Gonna, well, I think I might just buy the hub, but that's a conversation for later. Yeah. Ooh, oh. Although the hub is like 100 and Gosh, I'm bucks. a little lightheaded now. I got to be honest with you. It's a lot of money and – it makes me sick because I'm in a I'm in a boat where I feel like if this was a re- I just oh man 16 gigs of RAM buddy like that's super like at that price man you should be I just well oh. the lemur which has a better processor and like the same amount of RAM uh, I will give the Mac it has the best screen I've ever seen it is half the price <sighs> literally yeah Oof. so that's a problem yeah that is that is. That is, uh, uh, I'll tell you this, um, <laughs> that is, that's a, a lot, lot of money. Get out of here. I mean, but that's, I'll, that's, I'll, I, you know, call that amount of money significant on my tax return. How about that? Yeah, I got a, I got a, yeah. back in 2013, I got a well-specced MacBook and uh, here I am now in 2017 editing super high resolution video that's like some of the latest stuff. Well, 
and and I want to tell you, uh, I am not to blame here. Lady Macbeth, otherwise known as my wife, the former Microsoft employee, talked me into getting the souped up one. Business? I was. That's right. I was standing there on the verge of buying a wimpy, wimpy dimpy one, and she said, "We well, always ruin them, and you always have to get a new one." That's how she sounds. I don't believe. Uh, so she's like, "Why don't you buy this one? Literally the highest one they had in the store." Yeah, I think this is why I don't like the. This is why I don't like the new price structure of the MacBooks because I think if you're going to get a MacBook, you get the most value. If you want to get a four-year, five-year machine, you're you going to go. And that was her point. You can't upgrade it. You may as well just do it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Let's talk about the Twitter and email reaction to this. Oh, man. Oh, boy. Well, you know, because you, 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 what happened was is you became, you became a Linux switcher. So why can't you use both? Well, I, I actually think you can. And I think the majority, the silent majority, like the, the 98% of people we don't hear from uh, do. Uh, in fact, uh, just referencing back to the last Hoopla, one of the things I've heard a lot is you guys pretend like it's an all or nothing world um, where uh, a lot of us these days – in fact, a lot of people have said, I've gotten older. I have, a, I have kids. I have a house and I use everything now. Linux, I still use it, but I use everything else. Um, right. So, so, so like my position when I first bought it – and I, I want to get into why I'm thinking of returning it – was like someone is willing to pay me to do a job. They have these requirements. I don't want them to hand me a ThinkPad because I don't like Windows and I don't know how to use it very well, right? I am not a Windows guy. A compatible system with their requirements is Mac OS. I should buy a good Mac, right? Like, Oh, and also I do these YouTube videos that seem to be getting traction, but the only problem is that people complain that the, the video quality sucks. Yeah. Guess what would fix that too? Yeah, right. Yeah, I agree there too. And I, 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 I'm also a fan of taking an opportunity with a new client, a new job, to upgrade something you use as a tool that will benefit future jobs as well. Because then you essentially eat the cost on one contract, but then oh, it'll be paid in a week and a half, or actually a week, right? It'll, it'll like that's see that's what makes it and that hard to say no, right? Because it will be paid super fast. Yeah, I don't know if I would return it. If I was going to get a MacBook, I would probably get a pretty well-specced out one. I mean, you might as well get a good computer. It's just at that point, you really have to have a way to be able to make it work. Like for me, you know, I, I would I – would, I just I, – oof. I would really have to be in a position where essentially my computer had died right now or I get so frustrated at the amount of time I spend rendering that I could I could come up with a calculus that it makes sense to purchase it. But the problem is – I don't actually believe there's enough of a – in my particular line of work, and I could be wrong, and I don't really have any data to, to, to base this off of, but I just look at the specs. To me, it doesn't seem like enough of a boost to warrant the price increase for my line of work. I don't – Yeah. if I didn't already have an existing working tool, I think I would probably be in your boat right now. I would probably yeah. do one. Like if my, if my laptop died tomorrow, as much as I do not like the new MacBook, I think I would probably purchase one. Um, and I know people that listen to this that think that Linux is great for video editing and they hear that Hollywood does it, think that I'm crazy. But let me try, let me just tell you, this is what I do, okay? This is what I do every single day. And let me tell you that I am in a position where, like Mike, if my, if my 2013 MacBook were to die and it is starting to fade on me, the speakers and battery are beginning to go, which is really unfortunate because I like to edit on the go and I like to not use headphones because of my hearing. Anyways. Uh, I, if it died tomorrow, I would probably try to find a way to take Bitcoin and convert it into cash, and I would go pick up a fully loaded. I would even try to get the largest spec hard drive, which would probably be a thousand dollar premium, 
and I would try to get as much RAM, and I would get a 2 gigabyte video card, and I would get the Touch Bar specifically because it works really well with Final Cut. It seems like that's one app that actually uses it properly. So I also bought Final Cut. Good. It's a good tool. I mean, if you're going to be on the Mac, you should use it. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's the price. When I first started using Final Cut, for what you get, it was $1,000. And I paid it. I paid $1,000, and it came with seven DVDs. Wow. Yeah. So, what? okay, right. So, like, the economics sort of work. I have this job. I, I, I'm doing these, pot, these uh, YouTube channels, and they kind of work. And you could also use it to do this show. I think that would be, like, blasphemy. <laughs> oh, you don't have to. But I'm just saying, like, yeah, it's a tool you can use, and it should last a while. I have some problems, though. So like at three grand, I sort of expect to plug in my phone from the same vendor and have it like work. Yeah. Um, yeah. You they, also the other problem is is you're going to be uh, there is not all USB C devices are created equal, and so there is sort of a. I heard that from the sales guy, which I was not happy to hear. Yeah, there is. Oh, really? They they are they actually telling people that that's good. Because I well, I told them I'm a I'm a developer and I have a bunch of Android cables, and they're like, uh, well, we should probably tell you that they're probably not going to work right. Yeah, yeah, well, it's just, there's just, there's really cheap things out there, and then there's well-built things out there. It's not like, you know, there's not, I, I have, a, I have like, Anchor makes a lot of really great uh, USB-C devices. I have one right here in my hands, actually, and it's got three USB 3.0 ports and a gigabit Ethernet on it. That's a great little USB-C device for nothing you can get on Amazon. So there are good ones, but there, what I'm trying to get at is there is a certain cost overhead at burning through peripherals. I've learned this just with, a, I have a couple of laptops with USB-C, and my Nexus 6P is USB-C. And, uh, you know, I've spent a couple hundred bucks now on converting stuff over to USB frickin' C. And I still, at the meantime, also have lightning connections and USB-A connections and micro and mini USB. So there is, a, there is an overhead to having a laptop like this that a laptop with more traditional ports would not have. Now, that's a value judgment on Apple's call. And I'm sure lo- I would love to see well, long-term and, USB-C. And in three years, it might not matter. Yeah, right? I would so love to see that. The best argument against this in three years, it might not matter. I, I I have to say, just before I dive into like another couple more issues I found with this so far, if you're like being, you know, pragmatic about the art and business of software development, and someone's paying you to do a job, buying a tool for that job is not stupid. Um, the problem is, you should always buy things where you're getting value for your money. Mm. And I am not a hundred percent convinced I got three thousand dollars of value. I can't imagine how you would though. Really? Well, let me tell let me tell you like it, it's funny, right? Cuz you think I'm going to complain about the ports, which I would, but you know what? I can solve that with 100 bucks, right? No, I agree. I think it's a short-term complaint. Uh what I can't replace, so I have a problem. I I'm used to using my laptops in clamshell mode, and I've been pretty pretty happy with that. Oh my god, this again, dude? <laughs> oh my god, oh, dude. Holy crap, here we go. Are you kidding? You bastards with your dual monitors um i, I can't even i can't even like oh. you know there, oh, there well, are right, you, on, just so on, you know you on. know there are literally like no joke scientific studies that have demonstrated that workers are more productive with two screens done by capitalist pigs no doubt <laughs> it was actually done back in the late 80s and early 90s oh, but yes and mr gorbachev tear down this study <laughs> okay thank you chris that was amazing <laughs> <laughs> i'm an old man Totally derailed me. I don't. You you get one monitor, son. Back in you my like day, it. we had two CRTs, and you liked it. 
And if, if if one of them was a flat panel, well, then you were a you were a commie. <laughs> you were probably in the loan department or the trading area or something like that. Right. Yeah. It, was like, it, was, it was a Bloomberg terminal, right? Yeah. Um, okay. I spend like 500 bucks on all my monitors. I have bought an Apple Cinema display and I still regret it, even though that was like six years ago. And it's been $1,000 on it. This screen alone is making me think I might keep this laptop. This is the, and I'm not, because there's lots of things I don't like. But this screen is the absolute most beautiful display I've ever seen. Katy Perry and Tiffany Alvord have never looked better. Uh, there's actually, you know, I, 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 uh, I have Arch Linux on my MacBook. And um, I, the first time it loaded into GNOME 3 on, at high DPI, I, I, was, I was like, stunned at how amazing it looked. I had never seen Linux look this good. It looked incredible. Like the Retina display is so damn impressive. And now, yeah. <clears throat> now that I shoot a lot of 4K video, it's kind of ironic because the only place the video looks as good is when I can view it on that MacBook. No other machine I own can display it at the quality that my MacBook can because it's just this gorgeous, super high-resolution 4K video that if you don't have a high DPI display or you can't play back really high-resolution re- video quickly, like none of my other machines can, even though they're more powerful computers, Linux, uh, it is yeah. it's stunning to look at. It's it, Literally, stunning is the word. It's stunning. It's stunning looking. So we do have a hard stop, unfortunately, but let me leave you on a cliffhanger. Can I do that? Oh, 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 oh. The Army base is what? You got you to gotta evacuate? Is that what's going on over there? No, I have oh. a call with a strapping young Marine. Oh, understandable. Yeah, leave me with a cliffhanger. Give me more. Because I know you – this is all coming across very positive. I know you do have a lot of uh... – uh, I am not convinced that the keyboard will survive, let's say, the next 10 days. Oh, the keyboard. Yeah, I just I, – I sincerely think it's going to break. Well, this episode will be soaked in Ryan Sipes' tears. Uh, but where can people <laughs> find you throughout the week, Mr. Dominic? Uh, they can find me in the basement of Ryan Snipes ha- uh, Sipes' house. <laughs> Follow me at Chris LAS on the tweeters where I'm using an old and busted MacBook and I ain't changing nothing until that thing dies. Also follow the network at Jupiter Signal. By the way, let's be honest. Mike and I still have lots of Linux machines. We're just talking about tools this week, and we'd love to get your opinion on tools. Join the conversation at coderadio.reddit.com, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact, and join us live at jblive.tv. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you right back here next week. Mm-hmm.